I want to take you for a moment to a place where none of us felt loved by God. Are you willing to go with me just for a second? Uh, the middle school lunchroom. Now, <laughs> school began this week, and I remember clearly, I went to River Chase Middle School. Do you remember the middle school you went to? Do you remember the name, some of you? Go ahead and share with your neighbor the name of your middle school. Do you remember? You got it? I want you to, I want you to get there in your head. Okay. Now you're going to talk about a hundred other things. <laughs> River Chase Middle School. So River Chase Middle School, I remember as a sixth grader in, in, in my, my city in, in Birmingham, uh, River Chase started at sixth grade. And sixth graders and eighth graders were, were together. And when you, when you get to school, you have classes, and the classes are, are fine because you're assigned to a class and you're with people around you. When you get to, to the lunchroom, there are no assigned seats, which creates this fear in middle school kids. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so I get to the, to the, the line, uh, the, the buffet line, and to, you, know, you, you grab the tray. We had those old plastic green and yellow trays that you could not break. They were indestructible. You shouldn't put food on them. I'm sure there was asbestos on them. And... We started going through the line, and we were getting food, and then you realize you actually have to pay for this, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, and you get to the end, and depending upon when you grew up, like the prices changed. For me, $1.25. I remember it was $1.25 every day for lunch. And so I get to the end, and right before I pay, there's white milk or chocolate milk, and chocolate milk cost more, so I took the white, I always took the white milk, and I paid for my lunch, and then it happened. You turn to this vast sea, and you don't see anyone you know. You know, you, you remember these days, this fear that swept over you. Where am I going to sit? Now, for us, we had tables. And this one table here was the jock table. Do you guys remember the jock table? And you were welcome to sit at the jock table as long as you weren't a sixth grader. Everybody has to be a sixth grader before they're a seventh grader. So the jock table was a closed table. And then we called it the bandy table. Now, once we got to high school, we had an incredible marching band. The Tower of Power is what they were called. And all the band kids sat at this table. And if you did not play an instrument, you were not welcome at the Tower of Power table in the lunchroom. And then there was another table. And these were the, the stoners. Self-explanatory, not in junior high, high school. This was high school. And the stoner's table didn't realize if you sat there, so you were free to sit there. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. And then uh, there was the theater table. And the theater table was always a little bit smaller, and you had to be in theater to sit at the theater table. There, you just, outsiders were not allowed at this table. And then we called it the nerd table. We didn't mean it derogatory most of the time, but um, it was like the math team and the science team and all those different teams. And, and, and you had to decide, like, where am I going to sit in the lunchroom? And what we all realize, looking back on our middle school and high school years, I mean, we want to save our children so bad from this pain, but we all realize that all of us were simply looking for an identity. Every single one of us. 
We, we were trying to figure out at this awkward stage, number one, who am I? And number two, who are my people? Like we wanted to know who our people were. We wanted to find a safe place that we could sit and converse and not be the outsider. All of us wanted that. Nobody wanted to be the outsider. And that middle school cafeteria, that high school, it was such a scary place for so many kids because they didn't know where they fit in. I mean, maybe that was you. I, you know, it's just one of those difficult things that all of us have to go through in life. And I wish we could say that when we get out of high school, this goes away, like the challenge of identity. But it never fully goes away, does it? I mean, adults, we just mask it in other ways. As I started to get out of high school, I, had, I, I grew up in Alabama. I had a, a, a very important decision to make in terms of which table I was going to sit at. I could either sit at the Crimson Tide table or the War Eagle table. Now, I'm going to be honest. The Crimson Tide table was bigger. They had more championships. They had more people. I just picked the wrong team. I went Auburn over here, and we don't win championships. But you had, in Alabama, you had to choose which side of the sports arena you were going to play in. Now, have you ever wondered why people are so passionate about their teams? It's because of this. Because we find our identity at times in things like sports. I moved to Oklahoma. I had a quick decision to make. You're either going to root for the Sooners or the Cowboys. Wow, look at that. <laughs> Lifelong. Uh, I picked the wrong team again. I went with the Cowboys. And I'm a glutton for punishment. I know, it's terrible. That's just, I picked the wrong team all the time. And, and so I had to choose. You had to choose one or the other. When I moved to Arizona, no one asked me anything <laughs> about which team I was going to root for. They didn't care. The biggest decision I had to make was I going to be a Suns fan. And that was a quick one. No, I'm not going to be a Suns fan. I'm a Thunder fan. Um, all these decisions. Now, I've realized that there are also tribes that are created, not just in sports, but also in things like the kind of car you drive. You remember the old Ford and Chevy wars? Like, are you a Ford man? Are you a Chevy man? Do you like Fords? Do you like Chevys? Like, which one is it? I, for a while, drove a Jeep. I enjoyed my Jeep, and I realized quickly there is a Jeep club. You guys are excited about different things, aren't you, today? Uh, like, you're driving a Jeep down the road. If you've never ridden in a Jeep, you'll see people wave at each other. Like, there's a secret wave in the Jeep club when you, when you drive by. It's crazy. It's a tribe kind of a thing. It's like a, I belong. This is my identity. My Jeep is my identity, right? Um, all of these different things that begin to capture our attention. And, and we, we misplace our identity oftentimes in these different tribes. Now, sociologists and anthropologists would suggest that the tribal mentality is built into the fabric of what it means to be human. Tribalism. Tribalism is this idea that, that I belong to a people. And when I belong to a people, it's easy for me to begin to believe that this, my people, uh, create the best possible way to live, to think, and to be human. And what begins to happen is we begin to create some barriers to relationship based on the tribes we are a part of. Does that make sense? Are you with me? As adults, our identity becomes wrapped up in many different things. And because of that, we create some barriers to relationship across the pattern. Now, 
oftentimes we begin to think, now, if everyone would believe like me, then this world would be a better place. Have you ever been, uh, have, you ever, have you ever found yourself drawn to that idea that if everybody just simply believed as me, this world would be the best kind of world to live in? Anybody with me on that? Yeah. Um, we are divided by so many different things. And the interesting thing they would tell you, these sociologists and anthropologists, are we are more, we, we are more connected than we've ever been, yet we are most divided within these connections. And all of us tend to associate with a certain tribe. And here's the truth, uh, that in every worldview, every way of living life, every tribe, every religion, that makes perfect sense to the people who live within it. Now, that seems so basic, but you know what I'm saying? Like, some of us are like, doesn't this make sense to you? Like, my political leadings, this should make sense to everybody. Like, doesn't this just make sense to you? But the truth is, like, where you live, what you believe, your patterns, all of that makes sense to you if you live within that worldview, within that mindset. And we begin to construct barriers to relationships with one another. Now, I'm a church nerd. And I, I freely admit that. I like to study the church. Historically, I like to study present-day church. Uh, I work in a church. Um, so I'm kind of a church nerd. And the question that this makes me ask is, is the church simply another tribe in the great vast sea of tribes around the world causing more division in the people who live in the world. Does that make sense? Like I find myself stepping back from this kind of a thing and I wonder like what we do, like Sundays, are, are we simply about creating some sort of tribe that, that, that builds some walls and some barriers and, and has some markers that, that create some challenging relational realities in the world at large? And I find myself going back to Jesus. Is this what Jesus wanted to create in the world? Was Jesus' intent to create a group of people who simply related to, uh, built a, a, another kind of religion that would give people a place to belong? Is that what Jesus wanted to do? And then I began to look at Jesus' life and I realized, well, no, because Jesus had this unbelievable way to float in and out of different groups. He, he had this way of like relating to people many different levels, people he shouldn't have been with. For example, Jesus oftentimes had dinner with the religious people of his day. Like he would have these dinner parties and, and he would sit across the table from, from religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees and the different religious people of his day. But then Jesus would leave those parties and he would go to parties. Uh, in fact, he got, he got accused of eating with the sinners. That's all of us, by the way. But he got accused of eating with the sinners and the prostitutes and people he should never be with. Like, Jesus, why are you with those people? That's a different tribe. They're not in the circle, the Jewish circle. They're not over here. And Jesus had this way of like floating in and out of the different tribes because I believe Jesus and his mission, his, his message was, was, was about getting us out of and above the tribes that we all live in. Does that make sense? Jesus that day 
he came to, to a town in Samaria, this little village, and there was a woman at the well. Do you guys remember that story, the woman at the well? And he wasn't supposed to talk to her, but he did anyway. Why did he do that? Because Jesus simply cared about people. And it didn't matter what tribe or how you were labeled in this world. Jesus believed God loved you. Isn't that a good message? Isn't that the message that we all need to hear is that you are loved by God. You don't need to be labeled because you're a child of God created in his image. Our image, our, our identity, your identity. I know it's broken. My identity's broken. It's messed up. It's chaotic. We all have baggage, but our identity at our core is as sons and daughters of the most high God. Every single one of us, whether we embrace it or not, we're created as, as children of God. Um, have you ever heard this phrase, uh, hurt people hurt people? You ever heard that? Isn't that true? Like hurt people tend to hurt people. Sometimes you look at life and you think, why is that person so hurtful towards others? And then you begin to like have conversations and you realize, oh, well, they have been hurt significantly in their past. And they're simply living out of that. But then I realized it's not just hurt people that hurt people. Angry people hurt people. Did you know that? Like angry people hurt people. Anybody in the room ever been angry and you've hurt somebody? <laughs> Guys, we're in church. You've got to be honest with me. <laughs> like God is watching right now. No, no, angry people. Like every now and then, and this is something I, many of us deal with and struggle with is, is anger. And every now and then I'm, I'm caught up in this angry moment and I realize I lash out and I hurt people out of my anger. But it's not just hurt people that hurt people or angry people that hurt people, but selfish people hurt people. Any selfish people in the room? <laughs> That's all of us. We hurt people. That's what we do. And then bitter people hurt people. Like all these different things are true and you could make a list as long as we could sit here and we just hurt people. And I believe that Jesus, what he wanted us to begin to realize is that his people, his way, people who walked with God and were filled with his spirit didn't hurt other people, but began to love other people. Like Jesus people. If you're a Jesus person, like you, you don't, hurt people, you, you actually try to love people. Now, I know that's super obscure. Like, what does that mean, that we love people? Like, Jesus people, yeah, I love everybody. I love all of you. But what does it mean? Well, Jesus people forgive people. It means that when someone hurts us, we don't seek revenge or to hurt them back, but rather this, this, this way of doing life like Jesus is to, to, in some ways, try to let go of what they've done to us. And, and Jesus' people, like, love people. They, they forgive people. Jesus' people encourage other people. I have this friend in the church. His name's Nick, Nick DeRegis, one of the biggest encouragers I've ever known in my life. I mean, he's unbelievable at this. And you know why he does this? Because he's been encouraged by Jesus by the Spirit of God. Like, he's, he's received it, and so he simply shares it with other people. Jesus' people, that's what they do. They just encourage other people. Jesus' people celebrate other people. Jesus' people serve other people. They don't just wait to be served. Like, like Jesus, in, in launching this group of, of 
disciples and ordinary, his, his goal was to change the world and tear down the walls of tribalism and usher in the kingdom of God into the present reality, a world that is so much better than any of us can imagine. And it's not some utopian dream. It's not some sense that everything can be happy and cheery. No, life hurts. But Jesus' people respond to hurt in very different ways than those who, who, who don't walk with God. Does that make sense? Are you still with me just a little bit? Okay. So Jesus makes this statement to his, his followers, his disciples, and he says this. He says, when the Spirit fills you, in other words, when you're changed by God, you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So he gives them a very specific concept of what it means to be his followers. And, and this concept should kind of mark what we do as a church, and it's the idea that we are to be his, what's that word? Witnesses. We are to be his witnesses. Okay, one more time. I think we all have it. We are to be his witnesses. witnesses. Right. In the Roman world, let me give you a picture of, of, the, of, of what Jesus is painting here. In the Roman world, the ancient Roman world, when power would change hands, and so like when Nero took power in, in ancient Rome, he would send heralds out to every edge of his kingdom to simply proclaim that Nero was now in charge. Like these heralds, their job was simply to go and blow the trumpets and say, Nero is Lord or Nero is emperor. Like that was their job. And then he would send the military behind those who would declare this to make sure everybody followed the rules. Now go with me just for a second. What I don't see in scripture is Jesus saying, when the Holy Spirit fills you, you are to go into all of the world and make sure everyone follows all the rules I am giving you today. And when they don't follow the rules, you are to create a barrier and no longer have relationship with them. Now, Jesus says, you are to simply be the heralds, the witnesses, those who, who go and simply proclaim, like, God is king over everything, whether or not you realize it. You live in this little area of the world over here, you just should know that God rules over everything. And his way is the best way. He's the kingdom. He's the, he's, he's the way, the truth, the life, all of that. He says, Jesus says, you're to be my witnesses. You're to go and proclaim these things. Now, I started to try to figure out what exactly would that look like in our world? And uh, I, I, I thought, you know what it is? It's like brand ambassadors. Do you know what a brand ambassador is? I, I want to be a brand ambassador for, for Nike. I love Nike shoes, and I have lots of Nike shoes. And it would be fun to be a brand ambassador, to put on shoes and shorts and a, and a Nike shirt and to wear it and to get paid for it. I mean, I grew up in the Michael Jordan days when, like, he signed that unbelievable contract with Nike. And Nike in their early days saw the importance of brand ambassadors and they hired people even though they couldn't aff afford to hire those people to be their ambassadors, just hoping that it would work. And it worked. Like Nike grew out of that. So it's, it's an incredible story. Uh, followers of Jesus, those of us who claim to follow Jesus, we are brand ambassadors for Jesus. Now, before we, we, we move on from that thought, Brand ambassadors for Jesus, 
uh, is not about wearing a cross around your neck and, and putting a fish on your car, which none of us should do because none of us drive like Jesus would drive. <laughs> but listen, being a brand ambassador for Jesus isn't about external things. It's about a way of living. It's about being a, a, the kind of person that Jesus was to everyone, always. And here's how the early Christians did it. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, it was written by Luke, who was a doctor. And uh, Peter and John were, were brought before this, this council. They, they went to trial among the Jewish leaders. It was a strange kind of religious thing that happened. And it says this, that the members of the council were amazed when they saw, what's that word? The boldness of Peter and John. Well, why were they amazed at the boldness of Peter and John who were running around telling people about this Jesus? Like, why would that be amazing? Because they could see. They were ordinary men with no special training. Now, if this was written about me, I would not be pleased. Like, just an ordinary man with no special training? But that's not the point. The point is that they were bold regardless of what training they had received. They were bold in the way that they proclaimed the message of Jesus. Does that make sense? Now catch this next line. This is where like, I found myself uh, kind of wrestling with the way I live. They also recognized Peter and John as men who had been with Jesus. Okay, this is that moment where I ask you a question. If you're a follower of Jesus, would the people in your life recognize you as someone who's been with Jesus? Like in the way you do business, in, in, the, in the way that you live within your neighborhood, in the way that you love your spouse, in the way that you parent your children, in the way you spend time with your friends? Like, would anyone recognize me as someone who's been with Jesus? That's a tough question, isn't it? I mean, I could probably just stop right there and let us chew on that for a week. Like, are we people who have been with Jesus. And, and, and what happens is when we spend time with Jesus, this is one of the reasons this kind of gathering is so important is because we spend some time trying to allow God to, to pour into us so that when we leave this place and live our real lives out there, people begin to recognize something much more profound than just a label, Christian. I mean, it's so easy to say, I'm a Christian. Yeah, when I get, you know, that poll in the mail or I have to answer the questions, Christian, I can check that off. No, no, when you're a follower of Jesus, you have been so impacted by the love and grace that you can't help but be recognized as that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Some of Jesus' harshest words were reserved for religious people like us, those who show up. And I want to give you this, this, this passage as we, as we kind of wrap up. And Jesus is just going off 
on the religious people of his day. I mean, it's, it's relentless. It, this is actually in the Bible when Jesus does this. You should read your Bible every now and then. It's good stuff in there. Um, in Matthew chapter 23, it's getting to the end of Jesus's uh, life on earth. And uh, he says this to the religious people, you hypocrites. In the Greek world, uh, back in Jesus's day, this word hypocrite was used to refer to someone who played a role in theater. So what, they, what, what Jesus was calling the religious people was just a bunch of actors, like you're just acting. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this is the religious people, like his brand ambassadors. You shut the door to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you won't go in yourselves. Like you, you won't even enter in. You don't even let other people in. You, you have become a barrier. You've become a barrier to people finding God. Now, that's challenging. Are we, followers of Jesus, in our context, are we barriers to people experiencing the love and grace of God? I mean, be honest. Like, are, are we creating just another tribe where you have to follow the rules to get in? Or are we opening the door wide to anyone who would honestly seek after God's grace and his mercy? Like that idea of the door. It's like, I mean, there's this unbelievable sunrise. I mean, this unbelievable sunrise that is just around the corner here. Like the sun peaks up. I mean, some of you have seen it before, but today's sunrise is unlike anything you've ever seen in your life. It's unbelievable. Just stay in your seats. Just stay where you are. Don't even think about seeing. No, no, no. Don't even think about seeing. Maybe you, maybe you, sir. Like he, we, we didn't even plan that. Like, it's unbelievable, and I, I can't actually see it because it's around the wall, and I would love to see it because I love sunrises. I love sunsets. I, I think this is the one. I mean, I think this is the, the best one, but just, just stay in your seats. Don't, don't. Like, we become a barrier to people experiencing something that we all want to experience. How many of you want to see the most beautiful sunrise? Let's say it's at 10 a.m., though. Like, the most beautiful sunrise... Like, we all want to see that. We all want to experience that. How many of you want to see the championship? How many of you want to see the big game? How many of you want to see your band? Like, but we become barriers to the life that people want to experience because we're just tribal people. Does that make sense? And our job is to open the door wide. Like, I can, I can either be a barrier or I can be a bridge. You know what I mean? Like I, I can be a barrier to people experiencing God or I can be a bridge in my everyday life to my neighbors that live next door to me who don't know Jesus. I can either be a barrier and just continue to build that separation and never walk across the street or I can actually be a bridge and a true brand ambassador for Jesus, not just in name, not just in a t-shirt. I can be a follower of Jesus that helps someone else experience the love and grace of God, to help somebody experience the the sunrise. I can be a bouncer who doesn't even go into the club. Like I just stand outside and I keep people out. I mean, I know none of you go to clubs, but I can be a bouncer who keeps people in. Or I can be 
I can be a tour director, like a tour agent who says, have you ever seen a buffet like this? I, I, don't want, I don't want to just tell you about it. Come with me and check this out. Like this is the best thing you could ever have. What do you do when you go to a great restaurant? You tell everybody, have you been to Chelsea's Kitchen? Have you been to El Like it just is natural. When we experience the love and grace of Jesus on a deep level, we can't help but share that with someone else. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So here's my question, and we're done. Like this week, this, like tomorrow, Monday, like who is someone in your life that desperately needs the love of God? And, and here's the beautiful thing is like it's not your responsibility. The weight is not on your shoulders to help them figure it out. It's simply to open the door and walk with them. It, it's simply to welcome the stranger, the outsider, the outcast. Cathedrals were built over the course of a couple thousand years as, as uh, markers where anybody could find refuge, where anyone could find sanctuary. Let's be that kind of a people. Not, not a literal cathedral. Let's be people cathedrals who are open to anyone who's seeking after God. Would you stand with me? Uh, this week, may you spend some time with Jesus. Like, may you hang out with Jesus. May you be filled by his spirit, and may you be filled to the point of overflowing so that everybody who encounters you would not see you just as a tribal person, but would see you as someone who's been with Jesus. And may they experience grace and love because you've experienced grace and love. May they experience forgiveness because you've experienced forgiveness. May you encourage and serve everyone you come in contact with. Have a great week this week. We'll see you next Sunday.